me how to say ladies and gentlemen in gender neutral terms. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey yo. Why a hello and a howdy. We're so very glad to see you. Cause we're getting kind of rowdy and we got a lot to say. And we're gonna try and do our very best to entertain you. And we hope you'll be delighted by the time you go away. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Thank you, broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Yeah, sometimes I wear a chiffon dress. Oh, shit. I, I forgot we're live. Hey, hey, start, everyone! Start the start the show with a curse word, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the postponed version of HIAC Talk Radio. And even though we say that, there's still not that much to talk about. But there, it, it's weird. There is, but it's really succinct and quick. I think. Uh, Dan, Craig, hi everyone. Welcome. Uh, that reminds me, Craig. I gotta send you the updated logo. Just a little tweak there. Okay, uh, I'll I'll send that for next week. But um, welcome everyone. I'm no longer part my hair because that's all that's left. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh shit, good. Sorry, didn't mean to send that. Oh, fucking <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, he also said Drew Carey show Saint Elsewhere, New Heart, and The Sopranos endings matched together. Hell yeah, that was he's talking about the Craig Ferguson finale. And I just want to say to everybody who doesn't know the reference. I just want to again point out, and if you disagree, you're wrong. Uh, late night television peaked with Craig Ferguson and Josh Robert Tonelson. Careful, Icarus. Uh, welcome to HIC Talk Radio. Uh, last week, um, oh, when you, last week was good. When, when you missed, um, <laughs> there was a return. Uh huh. A return that, uh, again, we all kind of knew it was coming in Philly. Well, here he is. Uh, Mr. Bray Wyatt, and he had another, uh, he had a finally cut a promo, and I, you know, I don't know how you feel about some of the matches he's done, but we all know as far as the talent as, uh, uh, Wyndham is, Mm -hmm. Wyndham Rotunda, um, what a name, by the way. When you think about it, you say, God damn, what a, why you can he? I know you named them after your best friend and your your brother in law. Just yeah, because, why, why not just call him Barry? Yeah, middle name? No. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, a, a very powerful, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah. Promo on SmackDown mm-hmm. with the Bray Wyatt twist and the sudden stop at the end. I thought it was lovely. Uh, I'm really excited to see what they do with this. We uh, based on his mask, I assume he's doing that. I don't want to say schizophrenic, but well, however, the black phone. I don't, have you ever seen the movie The Black Phone? No, it's on my list, and I and I, but I know the premise and everything. Oh, but I, I saw just a haven't movie seen you it. didn't. Yes, you did. You're right. you're one up on me. You know what? A broken clock is right twice a day. Yes. Uh, it um, barely it rarely happens, but here we are. <laughs> uh, so I assuming he's going with that little manic. I, yeah. We're getting a third Wyatt here. Uh, now, see, but I. I I like that the promo was honest, mm-hmm. mixed in with a little bit of the right Bray Wyatt thing. And again, uh, as we talked before, when he comes back, if you mean this and you don't have old man Vince here now, mm-hmm. give him the belt or the rocket ship to the moon. None of that. You can do if you're going to do the goofy shit, do it off. Do it not in ring. The guy has an, a great wrestling ability again. He's what thirty eighth generation at this point. <laughs> uh, you don't need that shit for his matches. Do that stuff off the matches, and then go hog wild with the guy. Don't kill it midway. And I know Paul. Uh, Paul wouldn't do that. But anyway, um, wonderful promo. Uh, what did you think about that, sir? Uh, a great promo. A uh, great return. Obviously, uh, when that's always been since he left the uh, organization or since he was released. There's been he's been the most talked about. Where is he going to show up next, wrestler in the business? <clears throat> so that so when the regime change took place when Triple H came in, and you saw so many people come back so quickly, 
under the uh, Triple H regime. It, then it was only a matter of time. Okay, well, Bray Wyatt's next, Bray Wyatt's next. And the White Rabbit and the teasing and the word of mouth. Nothing on television, but stuff happening in house shows, stuff happening during commercial breaks that fans were talking about. The buzz, the way they brought it, the buzz was amazing because it was all man-made. It was manufactured. It was word of mouth. I didn't know what the hell White Rabbit was until it started trending on Twitter from WWE fans talking about it at the tapings and at house shows that this song would play. And you saw subtle things on the on shows and everything. So the way they brought it back was masterful. Worst kept secret in wrestling, but we don't sure. care because <laughs> we all want yeah. to see Bray Wyatt back. When he came back, now here's the what's the confusion here. I'm thinking when he, he gave his promo, heartfelt promo, you know, just like um, um, uh, other people's, uh, they, he lost someone. He's you know um, they had to put someone to be uh, talking about um, Brody Lee, Luke Harper, um, obviously close friends, but someone else had talked. Ma- Malachi Black did the same thing uh, in his last uh, his go going away speech, but this was heartfelt, and obviously the fans want to see him back. So if you're going to bring Bray Wyatt back you have to bring it back as a face because no one's going to, no one wants to boo him at all because we're so happy to see him back. Now the other, the, the, the other character we saw under the mask, under the, the, the black phone mask, you're saying that that's him. That's another part of Bray Wyatt. Could it possibly be someone else? And if that is someone else, who could they possibly get under that mask that could be at the level of Bray Wyatt? That could challenge him or to have for his. Okay, I'm. Th- I'm no. I'm with you. I think it's another part of him. I think that's like it, the like we saw many faces of Bray Wyatt. I think that's another part. I don't know where they're going with that. If that's there's a good and evil Bray Wyatt. One name that I will throw out, though I don't know how he fits in. Actually because a pretty brilliant idea, though. Not only did they bring Bray Wyatt back, but you know he's a package deal, and you mentioned family many times. Could this be the return of Bo Dallas? Interesting. Interesting. You know, I heard his name bandied about early, uh, and then kind of forgot, and you've kind of refreshed that. See... Now that adds all kinds of layers to it because I thought it was just going to be kind of like the three faces of Foley kind yeah. of deal. Yeah, but again, where, you, where do you go with that? Who, who because because Bischoff had this. Uh, I always think about this. Bischoff had because Crow's thing. We all know. I mean, everybody talks about the classic days of Surfer Sting, but he's been Crow Sting about twice as long as he's been Surfer Sting. Yeah, but in that in that late nineties run with Wolfpack and the NWOB team and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bischoff was going to do this different personality with Sting thing mm-hmm. where, you know, depending on the night or what was going on, he'd be in the red and black of the wolf pack. He would be the white and black if he was really angry. And there'd be another one. Like there was going to be this whole layered thing. Right. With Sting, which she later tapped in with, with the Joker's thing, which again, I know it's impact. Some of the funnest I've ever seen Mr. Borden mm-hmm. have in ring. I, I thought that stuff was great because, mm-hmm. and with around all that other Hogan Bischoff shit. Excuse me. And of course, we've seen it with Foley. Uh, if there's anybody that could take that another step, it could, it would be Bray. Uh, yeah. And it, and, and using his brother might not be such a bad idea. Yeah. I just, now that he's back, see, I, my thing is with, but the, the, the WWE is missing out on using the people that they have, especially yeah. the people that they have that are over but are limited. Like you should be using a Braun Strowman like um like an Andre or, or uh a big show. Like all like all, almost should be uh um like a great Cali type person. Just he should be the attraction. He should be a mystery opponent or he should be um the surprise uh tag team partner for somebody. That's how you use Strowman. You know, use him like Big Show. Someone he comes out and Bray Wyatt, and I said this while he was with the when he was full time. Bray Wyatt is your new Undertaker. Yes, that's how you. He not every week, 
not promos every week. Just nope. when the when that music hits and the lights go out, the place goes nuts. Then you know something big is going to happen. Correct. You, you, he's your he's your new Undertaker for a new millennium. He he can talk. I randomly saw my dog walking with the toy okay. and hide it under okay. the bed. Sorry. Okay. No, he he can talk. Unbelievable charisma. The fans are already into him, and he can work in the ring. Third generation, he knows what the hell he's doing. That's your Undertaker. As long as you don't beat it to death. He can, and you can put the belt on him. Do the Brock thing where he's a special attraction. He doesn't need to be every week. Exactly. And like Brock, you could put the belt on him. And if you want to use him to put someone else over, he, it's not going to hinder his, it's not going to knock his status down once, one bit. Not one bit. Nope. So I'm not at all. Now that he's back. Okay. He's back. Now what? I want to see where this goes next. And as long as it's nothing, Hokey, my, my problem with him has always been, a, and I don't know how much of this was his idea and how much of this was Vince's, but that Firefly Funhouse shit and the, the, the theatrical matches, I don't want to see any more of that. That's not wrestling. I don't want to see him set on fire in the middle of the ring uh, or have the, 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 the canvas turn into maggots or anything like that oh i hated that see I, you and i differ cause I, and i and i understand your perspective with the whole the theatrical matches but that that projection shit actually enraged me but go ahead i'm sorry none of that yeah shit. but but yeah as long as it's none of that stuff because if it comes back okay then i know it wasn't that i okay then that was his and idea. we know it wasn't vince yeah, yeah you know it wasn't always Vince. i know vince is gonna say, oh no no don't do that it's like oh yeah go for it pal we can give them creative control but someone's <laughs> also gonna be there and go no, let's not do that again, please. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, to see what they they do with uh, Bray Wyatt. Long awaited return. Welcome back, Wyndham. Um, it's so nice please. to have you back where you belong. Please, please don't drop the goddamn ball again. Don't drop the ball again, please, for Christ's sake. Uh, um, w- is there anything else that happened in the uh, wrestling that you want to discuss? Adam. Adam, Hangman Adam Page yeah. uh, almost died last night. Um, You know what? Uh, and it, it's a shame. Um, and I saw the thoughts and prayers. I didn't watch it because I'm not a Page or Moxley fan. And, but I, I got to tell you, when I saw the bump, I felt the same way. And this is... I, Shows you how little I know or how little I felt the same way when I saw um, Dale Earnhardt's crash that killed him. That bad. I was like, that was that, that was that's it. I thought yeah. I thought this when this, I thought he had fallen out of the ring onto his head or something happened and he and he fell. When I saw the clothesline, I'd seen him take that. Clo- I've seen so many other wrestlers take that clothesline, the flipping clothesline, because he's good at he can sell it. And that's what I thought happened. So I, when I actually saw it, I was like, and I don't mean to sound callous or um, no, I I just like that. I think that yeah, I was like that was it. Yeah, yeah. It's always uh, so. We made the point. There's always that, um, because you know the injuries that get head, you know, front Mm -hmm. and center are the ones where you're like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. A lot of the injuries, pile drivers, stuff that you do all the time. That's when someone gets hurt. And you know, as innocuous as it is, as normal as a clothesline in is is in wrestling, and I watched it a couple times. I thought the same thing. I'm like, that doesn't look so bad. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I either tweaked something in the spine, mm-hmm. or he his brain bounced off the uh, yeah pinballed off the inside stuff. of his skull because mm-hmm. he was in a bad way, yeah. bad enough to where. That you know, it's one of those to work. It's not a fucking work. If they're stalling that much, it's not a work. If the announcers are stalling, not a work. But yeah. it was the removing of the bottom ring rope to get him out of there. Yeah. I was like, ow. Well, yeah. That's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh so I hope he's okay. Um I do too. And um this really doesn't do AEW any favors because so many of their wrestlers get hurt so regularly it's really a problem 
I mean, Ruby Riot just started breathing out of her nose like this past week from a broken nose she suffered almost a month ago. And um, we saw Ricky Starks wrestle with a broken break his neck during a match. Um, we see Matt Hardy get a concussion, several concussions since he's been back. Daniel Bryan got another one and a useless match that he shouldn't have been in. They've had more injuries to top people. Um, and this one, and it, it's ironic that this one was just on a, a run-of-the-mill clothesline. But you've had so many people hurt doing stupid, unnecessary shit that they didn't need to do. But again, this does not do AEW any favors in terms of perception or being seen as a legitimate threat as a number two company because they're getting people are people are getting hurt left and right, and your top stars are suspended because they hate each other. The number one guy in your company, who Lord knows when he's coming back, if he's coming back. And uh, the and the ratings are affecting that people aren't tuning in because you're not giving them anything to look at, and now your top stars not only are they suspended, now they're getting hurt. So not a good look for AEW. They didn't need this to happen after the month. <laughs> Just no. had. And the one guy that they have, they do have Dan that can carry you. What are they doing with MJF? What the hell is this whole thing with 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 Regal? And um, there, it's I don't want to say it's a Jericho effect, even though it is a Jericho effect because he's got all now he's the one that's in Tony Khan's ear because Jericho is the one that gets all the spotlight now and he gets to go over everyone, and uh, he's the one that tried to talk Tony Khan into turning MJF face why would that be oh because then jericho would be the number one heel because as long as mjf is there he's a number one heel but now we got mjf with this i don't know what he's doing with regal why is he not just being mjf and getting the world championship he's got the chip or that would have been a great way to cash in and right there not to to skip over adam page's injury but i thought if had that not happened that would have been a great way to put the belt on mjf but he needs to be a heel right now. He does not need to be doing promos with William Regal, as great as that was. I was going to say, as great as that was, that, with Regal just reacting. That's not where uh, he... Where, I don't know where they're going with it and why. Just put the... What is it? And the other thing that occurred to me is, is we're talking about these injuries and, and people getting sent home and shit. Mm-hmm. And with the talent pool that they have, one that I've touted since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So use them. Yeah. Well, Let's and go. You, use the right ones. I don't know why. I don't know what Daniel Garcia and Wheeler you to have on Tony Khan, but why are they featured every week? And FTR is invisible. Why is Ricky Starks or Hobbs never on TV? Why do you have the two biggest stars, single stars you have, Wardlow and Samoa Joe? Why are they a tag team? For what? You're not doing. Remember the time that 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 Goldberg teamed up with Sting? They were just a tag team two weeks in a row during Goldberg's streak. Yeah, yeah, because it didn't fucking happen. Because it wouldn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it ha- yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. They had a match though when he was in the Wolf Pack, and then they had to have uh, Hogan come in to break that match up because it was like, well, Sting's gonna win. They're not gonna have him lose to Goldberg. But you have a Goldberg and Wardlow, and he's done nothing since he's beat MJF. So MJF do nothing since he came back. Yeah. And you have space. Yes. You sent a supposed crybaby home and all these. Okay. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, Have you? I know you're a busy man, and you're going to be even busier because you have a PS5 coming but have you had the opportunity to spend tuesday night yes to watch tales from the territories i watched the memphis one which one the first the, the first, first one. One. i'm sorry episode okay. one episode one episode one i i do want to point out one thing and i'm point not going to harp on this because no also justice warrior um so and kelly's answer to this was what's well, wrestling so duh 
Um, I found it interesting. Mm-hmm. Just the observation I made. Yeah. That they had the episode about Nancy Benoit. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Nancy. Yeah. I ain't calling her Benoit. Uh, Nancy woman. Mm-hmm. And they very specifically and had to and skip over it, mentioned the abuse she was taking at the hands of one Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Right, there he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just chilling out, doing interviews. I mean, it, it, it didn't make me turn it off, but I was like, that's weird. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I know he's kind of important to the stories. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a weird. Well, you know, when they contacted him about the Chris Benoit story, he said no. But when they wanted to talk about the territories, the tales from championship wrestling from Florida, he said yes. I'm guessing it was under the caveat, I will talk about Florida and Florida only, because that was a big part of his career. That's what made his career. But he was not going to talk about Chris Ben his his ex wife. Or Chris Benoit. So I that was yeah, I find it I found it interesting too. When uh you know they t- when I found out the territories they were doing and the people they were talking to, and the thing is, Dan Kevin Sullivan's on there twice. He yeah. talks about the Florida territory and the Polynesian Pacific Pro territory in Hawaii. Um, that was uh, the Rock's grandfather's territory. It's where he met King Curtis, and uh, the, where he also had a following while he was in Florida. So he's so not only did he not appear on the on the Chris Benoit, uh, but he is on a uh, a Vice series, but he's on there twice. Also, not talking about, but talking about uh, his ex wife, but talking about the territories that he's wrestled in. So, yeah, I found it a. Uh, Kind of interesting that he's there. So I guess there are some some things that Kevin Sullivan will talk about, but just not just not Nancy or the uh, the alleged abuse that she the suffered at abuse, yeah, yeah. by under his hands. Interesting. And, and the weird thing is, being a fan of Kevin Sullivan in Florida, he was very. I saw him hit women on television uh, with his hands. So he, and he looked very natural doing it. So. Yeah, Sammy Callahan looks great when he's wrestling women on Impact. But did you ever see uh, Luna Vachon's debut on on TV in Championship no. Wrestling from Florida? No, I never saw that before. Oh, did you see her her uh, behind her Dark Side of the Ring episode? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. I had not. Yeah, I had I, the there's a lot of footage that I had not seen. I was implying I hadn't seen it before the Vice yeah. brought it. Up. Yeah, but you yeah. saw how she got. You know, this is like Saturday morning television yeah yeah and yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah and i'd see and he had done that with other members of his of his uh uh group uh during the florida territories too he had uh one of the um members was uh she was in the storyline she was a childhood friend of barry Wyndham, and now she with kevin and barry said hey he uh, do you remember your doll i still have your doll when you were a kid and she started to crack and she was going towards barry and then Kevin dragged her by her hair and just like slapped her on TV and superstar Billy Graham, who was in Kevin Sullivan's uh, stable at the time, stopped him from hitting her. And then they attacked Billy Graham and he bled a gusher again, Saturday afternoon television. But yeah, so uh, uh, the championship wrestling from Florida uh, episode is next, but the Memphis one, the one that you saw the very first episode, uh, what did you think? Oh, it's, it, it's great. I Vice is doing. Don't make them like they used to. Yeah, Stu, you're right. You do. I'm disappointed. Um, <laughs> Vice makes the best wrestling documentaries out yeah. there right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, WWE has production level second to none, but we always talk about that. That that Victor's twist, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can tell you the story they want you to. But Vice is not tied to any of that, so it's been nice to hear, and unfortunate on most of these, uh, to hear some of his shit. Yeah, 
Uh, and I'm glad they're doing this because there's a lot of people that you still talk to that haven't passed away yet. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was just thinking about this when Anoki died. They got him for the uh, the uh, uh, WCW in Korea. Mm-hmm. And just without fanfare or nothing, I'm like, fucking Anoki's just sitting there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they got hope there's more. I hope to hell. Because one of the things you and I talked about when he made his appearance was, I hope to hell they had the wherewithal to go. You know, why we got Mr. Noki here? Ask him some questions about his career so we can get that going. Because there's documentary that needs to be, there is a story that needs to be told from start to finish because it's insane. Yes. So I hope they got some of that. But no, it's of course it's great. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to watch the whole show. I, you know, I, I love wrestling. Yeah. I, I, I didn't like wrestling. And <laughs> you just talk about the bad shit. That's not true. Um, and you're not paying attention. And that's fine. We're one of one million <laughs> podcasts out there. I totally get it. Um, do I think wrestling as a business mm-hmm. is not as profitable as it used to be. However, and this has got nothing to do with it affecting business. Uh, snowflakes. <laughs> People in the wrestling business are getting better. There's still a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of weeds to uh, 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 kill. Um, but I would say, as a, on a moral level, for the most part, you know the 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 rats busting up union creations and the uh, most of the some of the, the sex assaulters and domestic abusers are being pointed at and gone. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they could find the magic to get the business back up again, other than on TV, that would be wonderful. Uh, I've been catching clips of Wow, Wow's back. I gotta go and start watching in order because some of uh, some of those those are some talented fucking ladies, real wrestlers, not like the original Wow. I don't know why we have to keep reiterating that, but these these are great shows, and I really wish someone else would pick up on these. Um. So, you know, at your own leisurely, I got to stop leaning on my hi-hat. I will break <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, at your own leisurely, leisurely pace, pace, check out WoW. Check out the uh, uh, Tales from the Territory. What is it? Tales, Tales, what's the name yeah. of the fucking show? Yeah. Anyway, it's a great show. It's a great show. And it's good to have somebody else other than Cornette because Cornette can't get, not get himself into fucking trouble because he doesn't like <laughs> Settle down, Jim. Uh, it's nice to get perspectives uh other than yeah and in the what made the the memphis um show so great because you had the guys that were actually there i mean the mayor yeah jerry lawler jimmy hart jeff jarrett and his dad um actually make that made the territory that built the territory and all those guys were there from uh that what made the the memphis wrestling you know, so great. And because their circuit in uh, Memphis, I mean, every day, I mean, every Monday in, in Memphis, in Tuesday in Louisville, Kentucky, Wednesday, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Thursday, um, Nashville, Friday, every day, they were, tr- they were driving 500 miles a day, every day, every week, every month for years. So, so much, so many of the road stories, you know, they, Memphis was like ground zero for the the stuff you hear about wrestlers doing on the road just to keep themselves entertained and uh, to keep themselves awake and the ribs that they would play on each other, but also how, how rabid the fans were, you know, the story about Jimmy Hart getting, you know, getting a blow dart in his ass as he was being carried from the ring. And he said, after that, never again. No one's ever going to carry me from the ring uh, again. And how uh, how much the the fans were into it. And uh, you know, they showed the they showed the Jerry getting run over by a car um, nice, by, by Eddie Gobert, and he was fine. But that was tough. The second episode was they stayed in Memphis. Was all on Andy Kaufman, and I had never I read. I read Jerry's book. I saw the documentary. Uh, I'm from Hollywood. I saw great documentary. You know, great documentary, and I seen every. But this is the first time I've heard from Jimmy Hart's version, uh, from his 
side of the story. Oh, interesting. He yeah. was, I guess he was there because he was Andy's manager, was Andy's manager uh, yeah. when he came back and how long that program lasted after the Letterman uh, interview um, that the, the slap heard around the world um, and that Jimmy Hart would be, you know, a Sunday afternoon, a rare day off. And he gets a knock on the door. He's in Ed- Evansville, Indiana, from the and there's Andy Kaufman, showing up out of nowhere. You know, and he's on a he's on a top five network show on ABC. They're getting thirty two million viewers a week, and here's Andy Kaufman. In, oh, Mr. Lawler. <laughs> yeah, and we're the same. And he always called him Mr. Lawler. They were the same age, and Jimmy Hart I was that. yeah, yeah, and Jimmy Hart was the same. Was younger than both of them. He's called him Mr. Hart called him you know mr lower uh and he talked about the the whole the letterman uh episode the whole day he talked about it and after it happened and when they brought him out and uh the security that had him that with him and how he and andy right you know that that moment he looked down and he locked eyes with andy and that's that's when he did it and even they freeze frame that moment. Yeah. Where there's just that little because mm-hmm. you can't see Lawler's eyes, but yeah, there must have been that little, you know, mm-hmm. here it comes. <laughs> and he and Jerry talked about uh the day before they were going to go on Letterman and him saying to Andy Kaufman saying to Jerry, what if he just slugged me? And he didn't say punch. He didn't say slap. He said the just old like the old fan. Why don't you just slug me? And Jerry's like, I'm not gonna do that. I can't do that. I'll get arrested. So, but still, I think it. I think it'll be good. I'll bail you out. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You got yeah. money. You're fine. <laughs> I mean, money. She can't sue me. I'm yeah, from Hollywood. I'm from Hollywood. What are you talking about you get out yourself. But you people, Memphis. But but so many people weren't smart to the business. Uh, and didn't know. Um, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff's father, talked about after the the pile driver that and that uh, Jerry Lawler gave Andy Kaufman. Bill Watts called Jerry Jarrett. <laughs> they worked, Bill. No, yeah, he said, "I'm so glad you put that punk on his ass. That was awesome. That was great. <laughs> it and, would work, Bill." Yeah, and Jerry Jarrett was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, we we uh, we uh, we really got him." But yeah, no. So they they Jerry played dumb. Oh yeah, yeah. I gotta watch that whole thing again. Yeah, uh, that was episode two. Uh, the last. Oh, it's episode. I haven't seen. Yeah, okay. Well, I one thing I was gonna say to end the segment, so I'll I'll just say it now. I'm gonna start over mm-hmm. and watch that one again. There's so much information, and yeah, I just I'm gonna watch episode one again and then right on to two. Yeah, and the and we're up to episode three because the last one took place two days ago, and that was the AWA. And the uh, footage that they had was is awesome, and the cast of characters they had, uh, they from all facets from three different decades of the AWA. Wow! So you had, uh, Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel, the longest reigning AWA tag team champions of all time. Medusa, Maselli, former AWA Women's Champion, Diamond Dallas Page, who was in the, the, the dying days of the AWA, and Ken Patera. They got Ken? Ken Patera. Oh, okay. <laughs> the last time he did anything. Are you serious? I am so fucking serious. It's on my DVR. I kept it because... Ken Batera. And you know, when you see, you saw the first episode, they break it up into segments. Yeah. yeah. So guess what segment Ken Batera's was in? Uh, and Ken Batera is just as ornery and cranky as he ever was. He goes, I was in the Olympics. I was the first American to bench press 500 pounds. I was in the world's strongest man competition on network television. I've won. I was champion in the NWA and the WWF at the same time. But all anyone wants to talk about is fucking McDonald's. 
Yeah, he looks is he looks as bad as happy as I think he'd look. And he talked about it. I'm looking it up now. He looks about as happy as I thought. Oh, my God. What a curmudgeon. Uh, but the stories from the AWA are were amazing, as you expect. Um, well, Wait, footage- if that's not bullshit, he was literally the first American to, to do the clean and jerk 500? Yeah. Oh, shit. I, I thought that was just. No. No. Okay, wow. Shit. Vern Gagne was the first. Vern Gagne wanted to make Olympic, was trying to take Olympic wrestlers and make them turn make them pro. Stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he did it with Chris Taylor. He did it with Brad Ringens, and he did it with Ken Patera. Guys who had met, who in, in Ringens and Chris Taylor were amateur wrestlers. Ken Patera was just a weightlifter, but he wanted to take these athletes way before Vince ever did and turn them in because Fern Gagne was an Olympian. He was went to the 1958 Olympics, freestyle wrestling. Yeah. So... And he was a student of Danny Hodge. He wanted to. He wanted the AWA to be where wrestling happened, and he wanted to make amateur wrestlers pro. And Ken Patera uh, was his student, uh, and he was in the same class Ken Patera was w- with Ric Flair, with Ricky Steamboat, with the Iron Sheik. He would uh, young um, Sergeant Slaughter, Bob Slaughter. They were all in the same class, so they all started together. Um, and he said, and I met these two knuckleheads, and he's pointing to Brunzel and Greg Gagne, and uh, the rest is history. And Jim Brunzel said, well, you just, what you said at the top of the uh, the hour, Dan, he said, you know, we are in a very unique fraternity that no one gets the kind of life that we live except us. I'm just so grateful that, you know, so many of us are still here, you know, to tell these stories. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they got all those guys together, the Ganya and Brunzel together, and Ken Batera and uh, Paige and uh, and Medusa, but yeah, all very, very humble. So the last, the first episode of Tales from the Territory was a Memphis territory. The second episode was all Andy Kaufman in Memphis, and the third one that just aired was the AWA. Again, the stock footage it, tonight, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, the stock footage is amazing. Vintage, you can see vintage Bobby Heenan. They talk about the time in Chicago where a fan shot at Bobby Heenan uh, and wound up hitting two other people. Oh, and they never caught the guy. Just think of this. Yeah. Just think of this. Mm-hmm. Bobby Heenan was so good that a dude shot him. Yeah. Shot him mm-hmm. and missed. Yeah, at a wrestling show. But the seg his segment Dan was called Heenan Heat, and there's nothing like it. And yeah. there's not many people that have since or now, well, mm-hmm. especially now, can get that kind of heat that has that kind of heat. Yeah, you have heels now walking through the crowd, coming through the crowd. Get if he didn't went anywhere near the crowd, he'd be drawn and quartered. He'd be crucified. I mean, look, they, we, we, so I can't wait till they do the sportatorium ones. Oh, yeah. Talk about how fucking crazy that place was. And, you know, even the baby faces, because, you know, the sportatorium was a mm-hmm. fucking was. Yeah. I joke around that the spectrum be dog shit. This was just a <laughs> hole in the ground, <laughs> you know, because you look at the sportatorium and everybody sees that white facade, that bad paneling, the paneling office. But that's after a file. The original file, the it's after a fire. Yeah. The original building was this gorgeous yeah. octagon mm-hmm. that had fire damage that they cheaply just here, asbestos. Yeah. That'll <laughs> fix everything. And that's that'll fix everything. <laughs> and that's what everybody remembers. But it, so this is this gorgeous building mm-hmm. where the you know the Texas uh um uh jamboree and all that stuff with the Elvis was and, yeah. and of course, the the PS to that is is uh, or the addition to that story is all these people, all these bands performed on the wrestling ring without ropes yeah. as mm-hmm. the stage. That's how much wrestling was in this building even then. Yeah, but the entrance way was just between the bleachers, mm-hmm. wooden bleachers with numbers chiseled in and painted over. And the best part of that was always makes me laugh is right at the entrance was a pole was the support pole for one of the buildings. So they were doing this in the first place. And even the baby faces would get so close to the, 
to the fans and the girls trying to grab him would just scratch the hell out of their shoulders and rip hair out of their heads. Mm -hmm. Imagine how much the heels dreaded walking through that same thing on the other side, which another brilliant thing is they actually had separate locker rooms. Yeah. You know, just in case, because the building was so damn uh, tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to go through that crown. And yeah. Bobby had somebody shoot at <laughs> So the whole point is, is you it, wrestling, you ain't nothing. No. Uh, please don't shoot somebody, but you ain't nothing. No. No. Back then, there was no metal detectors. And, uh, you know, you, Thank God you for brought metal a gun to the end. You know, I, I told a story on this podcast about uh, when JYD was so popular and the Freebirds were so hated that a guy pulled a gun on the Freebirds and was going, I got, I got him. I'll get him for your dog. And, uh, but the, the gun on, on JYD's shoulders and was about to shoot one or all the Freebirds before cops, uh, he could, before he could get off a shot, the cops were on him. And of course, JYD had to pretend to be blind. So he, uh, had to do, uh, you know, make a decision, you know, your money or your life. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And, um, but yeah, with Bobby, the guy was up in the bleachers, up, up in the, in this Chicago amphitheater. So he was up a ways and he st- steadied this fan, steadied his gun on another fan's shoulder and shot down towards the ring. And one bullet ricocheted off um, the side of the ring and hit uh, a woman at ringside. And another shot went, hit someone in the back. Bobby ducked under the ring and uh, everyone was going crazy and uh, they never caught the guy. Um, he shot three times um and left but that was the kind of heat that bobby heenan had and the kind of in world class they had the, they had security they had i mean actual texas police yes, actual actual policemen have to be had to be there had to, which you know they were just yeah. fine because they'd be watching the show they were watching the show but they also weren't smart to the business because they were not they wouldn't always help the, the heels back especially if they did something bad to the von erics they were kind of slow to walk them back to the dressing room. So, you know, so at, a lot of times fans had to, the, the heels had to fight their way back the, to the dressing room because of uh, how small the sportatorium was and how they just had tiny thin ropes. There was no guardrails back then, no metal fences, you know, no, no, you know, the bike racks that they have, they had a, even in the Superdome, you could just leap over, but no, it was a, uh, it's a whole different time back then. And so when you, what I love about the Tales from the Territories is not just the stories, but the stock footage, the stuff you haven't seen. In the AWA, you're going to see, uh, they showed a clip of the uh, handicap tag team match. On one side, you had Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan, Bobby Duncan and Ken Patera against Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Um, it was a 2 one match. And to see it, it was amazing. And the first time that um, Bobby had the weasel match was against Greg Gagne. That was in uh, 1981. Um, and they showed that clip. But uh, and Bobby it was Bobby's weasel suit. But that's just something that Bobby Heenan had done for 20 years. It started in the AWA. And, you know, he brought it to the, the WWE. But that's always been his suit, his weasel suit. And that he would lose and give the fans a thrill to act like he couldn't walk in it. And he had to, he kept falling down. But all of them agreed that Bobby Heenan, <laughs> Jim Brunzel said that Bobby Heenan is the greatest worker performer yeah. in the history of professional wrestling. Period. End of story. There Period. No end of story. There is no close second. No. Uh, to transition into the historian, I just wanted to bring this up. Uh, usually we tack this in on the beginning, but I want to tack it in here now. Ben Simmons' Nets debut, four points, six fouls, negative 26. Hmm. Don't feel so bad about the Sixers' loss last night. So I guess the Nets won that trade? Yeah, the Nets absolutely won that trade. World champions, baby. Yeah, and James Harden at 35, 6, and 8, his Sixers' debut, regular season. Okay. He's, you know, he only lost what thirty five pounds in the off season. Yeah, and he was already one of the greatest shooters of all time, anyway. So, what do I know? 
Fuck you. <laughs> I love you, Ben, but eh. yeah. Yeah. the dream is over. What can I say? Uh, let's take a look back. Since we're on the topic to begin with. Since we're on the topic, since we're already talking about the territories and tales from the territories, I can weave you some further yarns about the greatness of when the country was divided into different sets of territories where there was not just one monolithic being uh, trying to dominate another monolithic being in terms of wrestling companies. There were three big ones, the WWF, the NWA, and the AWA, but they all took turns and shook hands accordingly and traded talent. So you can see any one or all three of those wrestlers on one card because that was the beauty of wrestling back in the day. There were territories and promoters that dealt with each other on a handshake. Your guy's an NWA guy and you want to wrestle in the WWF ring? Sure. I'll make that deal happen. That was back when promoters were just done and wrestlers would go off go from one territory or one federation to another just on a handshake deal. Titles would take would change places um uh, in front of sold out crowds uh in outdoor stadiums, coliseums, high school gymnasiums, uh amphitheaters. Didn't matter. Back then before it was sports entertainment, it was just called professional wrestling. This is a wrestling historian. Um, we're gonna go back as I put on my glasses so I can see the future, so I can see the past more clearly. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> we're old, okay? Old, okay. Get glasses, you fucks. Again. Kiss my ass. A little deep. Okay, I can't hear you properly. Uh, we're gonna go back to October 10th, 1981. I'm sorry, October 10th, 1980 in the Omni in Atlanta. Uh, a round-robin tournament was uh, held to declare a new Georgia Tag Team champion uh, for the Georgia Tag Team title. Uh, this was a prestigious belt because 1980 was the very beginnings of uh, a basic cable, and TBS was uh, the most popular cable station uh, in the country at the time. So Georgia Championship Wrestling was the most popular um, show on uh, TBS. So the tag team titles were a big deal. Uh, so the tournament, a round-robin tournament to hold the new World Tag Team, Georgia Tag Team Championship, took place October 10th, 1980 in the Omni in Atlanta. And you had the Assassins and Mr. Wrestling's 1 and 2. Uh, and the third team in the tournament was the one that actually won it. And the third team would be the team of Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, and Michael Hayes. On October 10th, 1980, the Freebirds became the Georgia Tag Team Champions and then wow. enacted the Freebird Rule. The Freebird Rule. Later brought back again, the first time I started hearing about the first time I remember starting hearing about it was uh, in the mid well, the late 90s with the Jersey Triad. But then, you know, you go back and watch mm-hmm. you know, wrestling you used to watch when you were real, real young. And you're like, oh, there it is. I remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was also enacted later on, uh, earlier this decade, by the New Day. And uh, even uh, Michelle McCool and Layla held the... That's uh, right. That's right. They did. The, the, I the forgot about that. The Women's Heavyweight Championship that either one of them could defend. So the point being, the Freebird rule was made up for because this three-man team, any two could defend the belt at any time. So opponents didn't know which two of the three they would have to defend. And that kept other wrestlers off guard. And because they were the preeminent heel team in wrestling, the Freebirds would make history. And the Freebird rule, 40 years later, is still in effect, folks. So when I wax on and off on this very podcast about the most influential tag teams, of all time, and I'll go back and forth between the Road Warriors or the Fabulous Ones. Right now, it's the Freebirds. Because when you're talking about stables, before the Horsemen, before the NWO, before Yuck DX, or three-man teams like the New Day, 
the Shield, or the Wyatt family, none of them would be anything if not for the Freebirds. They were the first three-man team to to main event every territory they went. Used to be main events for just one guy in one territory, like a Jerry Lawler in Tennessee or Dusty Rhodes in Texas. But the Freebirds would main event everywhere they went. Sold out the Superdome in 1980. Okay? Before, before anyone else, before Hogan, before Andre, before anyone else. Georgia, they were the most popular tag team on the most popular show on cable TV on Georgia Championship Wrestling. And three years later, in world class, again, making history in the greatest tag team feud of all time, arguably, with the Von Erics. But the free bird rule where any two men of a three-man team can defend the tag team title started October 10th, 1980. Uh, another big title change that took place that would set a precedent for uh, greatness. Um, but of all things that happened, not on a pay-per-view, um, not on a weekly show, but a house show. And of all places, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. But it happened right there with his parents in the front row. Ric Flair would lose the WWF Heavyweight Championship to a man holding it who would hold it for the first time, Bret Hart, would defeat Ric Flair for his first world title, October 12th, 1992. 30 years ago this week. And what else happened this week? Uh, uh, I- <laughs> Nothing happened. Good night. No, 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 they asked me. Uh, <laughs> October fourteenth, two thousand nine. Um, a big part of my childhood um, passed away, and he was a part of a lot of other people's childhoods, but in a different fashion. Uh, but October fourteenth, two thousand nine, we uh, say goodbye. One of the greatest managers of all time. Of all time, <clears throat> he could arguably be in my top five, um, if only because of his his. Uh, his personality and his character, but again, reached a whole different audience uh, later in his life um, that I never thought he would reach. But because in my childhood, he was the epitome of the most slovenly, evil, grossest creatures I'd ever seen in my life. But uh, October 14, 2009, we said goodbye to Captain, my Captain, Lou Albano. Oh, wow. Yeah, he has been gone for 13 years. Man. But uh, again, in the 70s, one of the three wise men of the East, uh, Lou Albano, Freddie Blassie, and the Grand Wizard owned the WWF, which sent heel after heel to conquer Bruno Sammartino. Everyone that came through the WWF was managed by one of those three men. Didn't matter if it was Ernie Ladd, George the Animal Steel. Killer Kowalski, Bobby Duncan, Ken Patera, uh, Stan Stasiak, a one that then would be managed by one of those guys uh, to go through uh, to go through Bruno and Albano would be the one who got it. Lou Albano managed Ivan Koloff, the only man to defeat Bruno San Martino in Madison Square Garden, nineteen seventy one. And we talked earlier in the episode about Heat. Dan, back then, the you would only see the managers on TV, uh, on the TV tapings, guiding the air, their charges or interfering on, on their behalf. But they wouldn't go to the house shows. And if they did, they would come to the ring with their man, be introduced by the ring announcer. And here's the manager, Lou Albano. And then they would go right back to the dressing room. Yes, exactly. Surrounded by police. Because them staying out and at ringside with their wrestlers would result in riots. Bad idea. Yeah. Um, Lou Albana was knifed. Um, had to have uh, 18 stitches inside of his head. A man came at him with a switchblade. I mean, at ringside, just reached over and just sliced. 
So Merchandise. Yeah. So managers at ringside in the seventies, particularly in the New York area, uh, not a good idea. So while they wouldn't travel, uh, if they did, they would just show up, get introduced, and go right back to the dressing room. Um, so that was uh that's how much heat managers got um back in the day. And Lou Albana was a heat magnet. Former wrestler himself of one half of the Sicilians with Tony Altamari. I think I told you the story. They would come to the ring uh, wearing white silk scarves and black jackets. Both had the pencil-thin mustache. And uh, depending on who you asked, uh, some members of uh, the uh, mob liked it. Some members of the so mob. Not, not, not so, not not so, so much. Hey, hey, come here. <laughs> what are you fucking doing here? Why are you wearing it like that? You making us look stupid? Come over here. I gotta talk to you. Come around the side here. I got something to say to you. Why are you making us look stupid? Shave your fucking mustache. You understand? So the Tony and uh, yeah, you, you think I'm funny? How am I funny? You you? Funny how? How am I funny? No, this ain't no movie. Come here. Come here. So uh, that's my gobble. Okay. You're breaking my gugats over here. My gugats uh, style over here. The spaghetti is a little too cold over here. So, uh, it's okay, Tony folks, Al- I'm Italian. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but Tony Altamore <laughs> and, and Lou Albano either got more uh, oh! <laughs> from real Sicilians than they did positive reviews from real Sicilians, so that gimmick was quickly dropped. <laughs> but they had some success. They were the w- They were a version of the WWF Tag Team Champions before it was the WWF. Um, but when you, uh, and uh, side note, when you see the AWA um, Tales from the Territory, uh, they'll talk about a tag team in the, AW- in the early days of the AWA in 1969. They were called the Hells Angels. Uh, and they were, their gimmick was a bicycle, uh, motorcycle group, a uh, chain gang. Uh, and what happened when they uh, ran into a real uh, motorcycle? group but i'll leave that for when you see the episode so yeah that was one of the only Lou- imagine what happened <laughs> well banos hey, you hear what happened when you ran into the motorcycle group come here i have some guys want to talk to you no it's fine no 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 it's just let's just pass that door over there yeah keep going i gotta go jimmy sorry it's okay i'm gonna hand here <laughs> Uh, but Lou Albano would, um, while he was wreaking havoc in the seventies and the eighties, completely reinvented himself um, as uh, Cindy Lauper's manager. One of the key components to the rock and wrestling yeah, connection. Wrestling. Yeah, that's who uh, I think of. Not Hogan when I hear of the rock and wrestling. Yeah, uh, but turned face and um, was a. Uh, but his role in the, the girls just want to have fun video. I remember seeing it. I said, "That's Lou Albano." Um, and Cindy Lauper is one of the early stars of, of MTV. And before Madonna, she was the most popular thing on MTV, one of the most popular performers in the world, in the country. Um, so Lou Albana was everywhere. She, she sees your true colors. She does. Shining through. Yes, that's it's on my iPod right now. Uh, and then later on, uh, because of the exposure on Worldwide audiences, national audiences were seeing him. He got a part in uh, Wise Guys with uh, J- Joe uh, Piscopo and Danny DeVito. Which, you know, uh, easily forgettable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then was one half of the Mario Brothers. On the I Mario was going to say, w- please, Richard Mario, please. I have to. Because I get. Mario, swing your arms from side to side. Yeah, I know. But. Kids know him as Mario. Yeah, from that. Had no idea he was ever in the wrestling business. Uh, and he became a worldwide phenomenon because the Mario Brothers cartoon, the the video game, still worldwide phenomenon. Uh, but yeah, so he completely reinvented himself and introduced himself to a whole new audience. And it gets always you know, it, it amazes me when I see guys like Lou Albano and even George the Animal Steel uh, in their later years, how they became a whole different, they found a whole different audience being these beloved characters 
where I think I told you the story of seeing George the Animal steal my very first wrestling match. And he came to the ring surrounded by six policemen. Yeah. And, uh, would, would just was, we thought he was, he was an animal. That was his name, George the Animal Steel. He didn't speak. He didn't talk. It wasn't no, there was no mind. There was no green tongue. He was just a nutcase and he would run out of the ring and shake the guardrail. And the first three rows would, would run, you know, in fear and panic. The, uh, we were also, we missed the, uh, the, um, 50 year anniversary of the first Shea Stadium card, uh, between Bruno Sammartino and Pedro Morales for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. They drew 26,000 people, and that was even in the rain. But that Pedro was a world champion, and, you know, Pedro had beaten Ivan Koloff, who had beaten Bruno, and people wanted to see Bruno. And these were the two biggest faces in the history of the WWF at the time. And they had a match at Shea Stadium, and it went 75 minutes. But during the match, Dan, George the Animal Steel ran out of the dressing room and got to the apron, and cops had to grab him and drag him off. And that sealed his reputation as being a nut. Oh, my God, this guy is out of control. What was he going to do? Who who was he there to attack? You know, and he was screaming and yelling and everything. And finally, um, during uh, one of the last interviews that George the Animal Steel did, Someone finally asked him because he talked about everything. He talked about his early days in WWF and his later days and his feud with Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth and all that. And nice, he's a soft spoken man, great sense of humor. Finally, someone asked him, What I, why did you run down at the, during the Shea Stadium match between Bruno and Pedro? You know, an, an all time epic match, and you ran down to the ringside and cops had to drag you away. Why did you do that? And he thought for a second, oh, because Monsoon bet me 50 bucks, I couldn't run down to the ring. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, that, and that's why he did it. Well, fair enough. Yeah. You know what? When you make sense like that. Yeah. Who's the, who am I to argue? <laughs> About all this time, we thought it was an angle. We thought that was like part of the, yeah. but no, Mon- Monsoon bet him that. I, I bet you yeah. can't run all the way down to the ringside and not get caught. Just watch. Watch. If I, if I go watch down, me. Like, watch <laughs> me. <laughs> and so he did. Uh, last thing, uh, October 15th, um, 1963. Um, it, was, it, it, it wasn't a big match. It wasn't a huge. It wasn't for any titles. Um, it was. It happened in Tampa, Florida. Um of all places, but October 15th, 1963, Bobo Brazil defeated Tim Anderson in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. Wasn't for any belt, wasn't for any championship. It was the third match on the card. But it just so happened to be the first ever pro wrestling match in Tampa between two black men. Ah, uh, yes. And, um, that happened October third, October fifteenth, nineteen sixty-three. Just wanted to make you aware of that, and it wasn't that long ago. Nineteen sixty-three, but racism's over. It's fine. <laughs> but that was the first time that two black men could wrestle each other, in a, in Tampa, Florida. So how far we've come? Sixty-three. Yeah, how far we've come, and sometimes how far back we're going. Or we still have to go. Or we still have to go. And that, gentlemen and ladies, has been the Wrestling Historian. And you can reach me or follow me or tag me or unfollow me. Or you can poke me still. That's still a thing. On Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagans. C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on Twitter uh, at Danlaw83. Uh, this week in the Chronicles of Danlaw 83 on Twitter, uh, I dare called out incels who are mad about Frost and G4 TV, and they won't leave me alone. And it's actually quite fl- flattering. And the funny thing about that is, is these fuckers who are making comments about me, which don't make, you know, don't, I don't give a shit, uh, can come into this stream at any time and have a chat. 
uh, and they won't because they're cowards. And it's actually probably the same 10 people making like 30 accounts. But uh, <laughs> we will discuss that more on Nerd Herders next week with the devil's advocate. Can't wait. So excited. Um, but Daniel 83, HIC Talk Radio.com. Uh, go to your podcast app. Type in HIC Talk Radio. Like, share, subscribe, follow, tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, tell your jail uh, pen pal, anybody. Wake the kids, phone the neighbors. Wake the kids, phone the neighbors. Uh, the guy you have locked in the basement, <laughs> let them know. HIC Talk Radio and HICTalkRadio.com. Coming up next, more Ghostbusters. Since... Uh, my boy's not getting back to me about Fortnite. I'd rather play this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we got Ghostbusters uh, Spirits Unleashed next uh, for Craig Lagans. I am Dan Calchico, the above average comedian. Keep it on the page. Always follow.